this is a snow india production and you are listening to beyond charminar so in the previous episode we had discussed about dakhni and uh, the evolve the evolution of how dakhni which is essentially a south indian language that predates urdu had uh, you know had come up and evolved over a few uh, over a few hundred years and we will continue our discussion with karthik for this podcast as well so essentially we were uh, talking about the end of the bahmani empire yeah i, I believe 1518 is when uh, golconda was founded and then so by 1518 essentially we had golconda we had bijapur we had uh, berar and then we had ahmednagar it was a four uh, deccan sultanates and we also had the vijayanagar empire right so what so uh, like like you said 1400 lay the second half of the 1400s where we have kadamrao padamrao which was born as the first literary uh, example of dakhni literature so what happens after the deccan sultanates form like is that so fifth is like is it from the very beginning of the golconda empire in uh, with sultan kuli do we see the we see dakhni growing and what happens in bijapur also you know shortly after the splintering of the um, bahmani state uh, we see that like these these emerging deccan sultanates take on their own characteristics and like um, they each you know develop their own culture elite culture and you know but interestingly enough it did involve um, other like local traditions like um um in in golconda uh, for example telugu was patronized by the sultan and um, you know uh, there's also this um very very like fascinating anecdote of how um the sultan of golconda um uh, ibrahim you know ibrahim kulkutsha like yeah, you're talking about the third third one ibrahim kutsha Right, yeah, the one, yeah. How he, um, he he was floating on waves of bliss, listening to the Andhra Mahabharata, right? Right. And uh, and uh, in in Bijapur uh, and Ahmednagar, there was uh, there was a very strong patronage of Marathi literary, uh, or rather, like Bhakti, uh, not not Bhakti per se, but like Marathi traditions, and um, Marathi was used as a language and. Uh, in in lower level administration or in mid level administration and uh, in fact bijapur had a it had a you know its its connection to marathi bhakti culture was especially strong because um, bijapur itself is not that far from pandharpur which is the center of marathi bhakti um, tradition it and um, so you had all these local um, you know like these local traditions emerging and like um being patronized by the sultans and like you know by elites and stuff but at the same time uh you, you also see this political development where so even under the bahmani state you had two um two factions political factions that court right uh you had two afaqis i mean in modern academic literature they call the afaqis and the dakhnis uh afaqis would be outsiders right yes basically um you know like migrants from let's say generally persia but also like you know could be they they could be from further further way like central asia but generally from persia right okay and, um, the dakhnis were 
so the the very name Dakni means someone of the of the Deccan, right? Because the word for Deccan in uh, you know in these languages is Dakhani. So Dakhani essentially means a local, local. That's what yes, in yes. plain term. Yeah, it meant a local elite uh, in this context because we're talking about the political faction. So it it was it uh, pertained only to the elites. But yes, it was a uh, you know like an elite who had uh, a local basis in the Deccan, and generally they were either local converts or they were descendants of um, um, you know the initial settlers from Delhi, right? So they had um, so their identity was based more in like it was more rooted in the Deccan because. That was also their roots, right? And uh, what happens is uh, these these tensions existed even in Dahmani time, and uh, they get carried on to the um, the newer Deccan uh, sultanates. And uh, you know, like you even have uh, so each sultan would uh, you know like he would play with you know the uh, allegiances of both, and they would favor one over the other, and. Uh, over time, this also took on a religious character where, like, um, the Afakis were also seen as Shias, right? So, uh, you know, and uh, the Dakis were they, they were Sunnis. So there's also a religious angle to this, where sometimes, um, you know, like on taking office or on on becoming Sultan, like, you know, the Sultan would align himself with one of the factions, and uh, accordingly, you would see even like religious traditions, uh, you know. Uh, for example, if if a sultan were to favor the Afakis, he would declare like Shiism the you know official um, brand of Islam espoused by the state, right? So you had uh, manifestations of these um, political tensions and like culture as well. But um, one very interesting and very relevant for our current discussion, like one one point that I have to bring up here uh, is that. Um, the Dakhnis, beyond the religious affiliation, they were also intimately linked to the Dakhni language. So what happens is, um, over the centuries, uh, I mean, so like since you know they've been in the Deccan for so long, they identified with the language, with the region and whatnot. And uh, what happens is, um, so as it is the Deccan Sultan, uh, Sultanates were taking on these local characteristics, right? These local Indic traditions. And they were... Um, you know, interacting with them and whatnot. But then what happens is, um, you know, like the Deccan Sultanates were constantly at war with both one another, but also with Vijayanagara, right? And and this goes on because, like, you know, be, uh, first it was Bahmanis and Vijayanagara, and now it's the Deccan Sultan uh, Sultanate. But, um, you know, these tensions just keep going back and forth. And, you know, you have these episodes, for example, uh, you know, at one point, um, uh, Krishna Devaraya, for example, he conquers, not conquers, but he sacks Bijapur. And, you know, you have like all these incidents and like a lot of their uh, tension, like a lot of this uh, was actually like tension around the contested region of the Raichur Doab. So that region was considered for very fertile and like um, it also had some key forts. So it was, it was a very contested region. In fact, there's even a book on this, uh, you know, yeah, but, um, uh, what happens is uh, these tensions reach, you know, they, they reach a natural conclusion with the Battle of Talikota, which is... That is 1565, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah which is when, um, uh, you know, the Deccan Sultanates, the like, remaining ones, because um, by that time, some have been annexed 
And uh, yeah, so the remaining ones uh, form an alliance and they defeat Virgin Aircraft, right? And uh, right. what happens is um, Vijayanagara was, it was one of the biggest cities in the world at the time. And it was also one of the richest cities in the world. So um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all its splendor, all its riches, you know, all its, um, all, all its incredible wealth was now up for plunder. And um, what happens is Bijapur and Golconda, as the strongest Deccan Sultanates and also the ones that have, which are closest to, I mean, geographically closest to Vijayanagara, they benefit from it the most, right? And what happens is like a lot of, you have like this outpouring of, uh, you know, like, uh, so not just the wealth, you even have like these artistic traditions and even craftsmen for that matter, like a lot of artisans, craftsmen, painters from Vijayanagara, from even, even musicians and like, you know, uh, I'm sure there are more, like, we're still, like, studying this. Uh, it's still being learned too. But, like, basically, there's this cultural, almost like an exodus from Vijayanagara to these um, to these capital cities, right? And Vijayanagara uh, even, in fact, like, it, it uh, gained the most from Talakota because it, it ended up um, slowly annexing a lot of former Bijapur, uh, sorry, former Vijayanagara territory, including um, what is now Bangalore, right? It, uh, it came under the uh, Bijapuri's um, after Talikota. But, um, but so more relevant to like our discussion is like the one, the um, the financial wealth, yes, and uh, two, the uh, cultural, you know, exodus. So what happens is uh, with all this wealth, there's almost like a renaissance in, in places like Bijapur and Golconda especially, where, you know, with, with all this wealth, they start you know, like, uh, if you give, I mean, like, with, with when when um, a ruler has surplus money, they spend it on, uh, like, cultural production, architecture, whatnot. And this starts mm-hmm. building in Bijapur and Golconda as well. Bijapur, for example, is expanded. Like, another set of city walls is built. And, uh, you know, you have, like, a lot of these uh, monumental structures that are built and, like, you know, very, very lavish tombs. And, uh, in fact, there even emerges a school of Bijapuri painting. Which is like supposed painting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's and it's very heavily influenced by traditions from Vijayanagara because like a lot of these painters are from uh they were originally from Yeah. So with them they also bring uh because obviously, you know, Vijayanagara was a it was a Hindu kingdom and um its court was a Sanskritic court. So uh they bring those traditions that had their roots in the Indic. Um, you know, like in, in Sanskritic traditions and whatnot, as opposed to Persian culture. So they start bringing these cultural, you know, uh, these these traditions to, you know, Golconda and Bijapur, and they start finding their way into, uh, like, myriad, you know, like, forms of art, like poetry, um, uh, painting, sculpture, and, like, even architecture for that matter. Uh, and you, you start seeing these Indic motifs in, Bijapuri architecture, for example, you start seeing elements of like temple architecture that are used in um, Bijapuri um, architecture, you know. So uh, it's very fascinating. So Urdu becoming the official language in the 1800s under the Nizam with Hyderabad as the capital. Uh, and it means that Urdu would have had some sort of standardization, right? In the sense, like a dictionary or something like that. Because I don't think we have that for Dakni. We don't actually have a dictionary for Dakni. I mean, if you if we have a dictionary for Dakni, it means that it would be a dictionary full of Kannada, Marathi, Telugu, Persian, and 
I don't know Hindustani words. I suppose that would be the right way to put it. So we don't. Um, yeah. At the time, no, you're right. Like at the time in North India, there was definitely a standardization of Urdu going on, and uh, a lot of local elites had started using that as a community language. Uh, and we're also so we should also uh, take into account that this was um, around the time when literacy was becoming more widespread, and also the printing press had emerged. So you know, like writing and like these, uh, you know, like uh, basically these uh, notions of like a standardized language, they were no longer an elite thing, right? Because the masses could now, I mean, the masses were still illiterate, but it was no longer just like, uh, you know, it's not like the the base was increasing, right? Uh, the the base of like the literate base was increasing, and uh, basically what happens is Urdu is standardized in North India. And uh, you know, even like the British, uh, like you know, they they have these dictionaries and stuff. But um, the Nizam chooses the Nizam chooses to use this standard because uh, again, like the Nizam was appointed by the by the Mughals, so he had, uh, and he was not a Dakni himself, so his cultural, I guess, inclinations were more North India, and his, I mean, by him, I mean like all the Nizams, they had like. Um, their inclinations were more like towards the north, and um, yeah, they they followed like a Mughal centric sort of worldview, and um, you know, their courtly culture was modeled after the Mughals. So um, they basically just adopted this this standard that had emerged in North India, which meant that uh, you know, like it did not really have any local input per se. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was borrowed from the, it was borrowed from North India. It was imposed as, I mean, it was instituted as the official language. And like, it's very likely that even before it was made the official language, local elites and nobles did see it as like, you know, um, uh, you know, like as their language or like a language that they would write and or read in. But um, the masses were still, spoke, I mean, the Muslim Masses would have spoken Dakni, and um, you know, uh, in Hyderabad itself, everyone would have spoken that. But um, over time, since this standard Urdu was given again, standard by standard, I mean this North Indian standardized, yes, uh, which is again like it's, it's standard standardization happened in North India. So once this standard was given the uh, like status of official language, and uh, you know it's. And like it already had this community, uh, widespread community usage among uh, like local elites and nobles. What happens is like people who are lower down the like social ladder, so to speak, they start aspiring, you know, to like how people above them speak, right? Which is natural. This happens. Uh, this is a linguistic phenomenon which happens across, uh, you know, across communities across the world. There's this inherent tendency for people to want to speak like people above them right? uh, socially that is or yeah so they modify how they talk and they incorporate words and at the same time they try to reduce they try to ref, uh, re- reduce these forms of language that they find let's say undefined or stigmatized right if something is stigmatized they will endeavor to use it less right and um, this would like this over time shapes the language itself and this happens to Dakni and it reaches what is called in, in linguistics a diglossic situation, which means, you know, perceptually there are two varieties of the same language, 
which uh, you know you like uh, the uh, which a speaker will navigate depending on social um, social situation so in the market with uh, with one's wife uh, a man might speak i mean a man would speak in dakni but at court or with unofficial he would speak in standard urdu and this uh, you know this this pattern becomes the norm across the deccan and across dakni uh, speaking communities uh and uh, you know to the extent where they identify as urdu speakers and they they identify with the urdu literary tradition which is again mostly centered in north india so you know galib or uh, someone who's like based in lucknow or whatever but uh, um this identity does not um does not incorporate classical lucknow because you know it was not standardized with classical lucknow in mind right so standardize the standardization project itself did not incorporate classical dakni so urdu urdu sees dakni as a uh, part of its heritage but it does not actually use dakni in the sense the dakni forms like you know like the sanskritic phrases or like you know the local language borrowings or even the grammatical patterns of dakni none of these are included in standardized right. urdu right no because uh, i mean if you look at standardized urdu today it is essentially not, nothing but a very clear and very uh, obvious mix of uh, khadi boli hindi yeah, i would say yeah. and persian yes it's a speech of like delhi and lucknow mixed with mixed as in not even like mixed per se but you it's almost like uh, you use like persian words and like certain persian grammatical structures but it's it's just like a lot of vocabulary borrowing right from persian so this has happened in like um you know uh, and since it's rooted in north india and since it does not incorporate these uh features of like let's say i mean like you know these features that were used in the deccan uh it it at the, so you have this weird sort of um, situation where on one hand urdu does claim dakni as its literary heritage as in it does say like still dakni is urdu like it's old urdu i mean i i thought there are some scholars who call classical dakni old urdu Right. it's actually um i think quite a few urdu scholars do use this term but um at the same time the standardized urdu which they do use does not incorporate any of this so called old urdu so they call it old urdu but they do not use any of its forms right like all these these words that were used only in the deccan they are not used in modern urdu as in i'm talking about start standardized urdu because um the standardization did not you know it it, it was not uh, it did not even have the deccan in, in its um, in its you know field of vision so to speak got it okay interesting so so now coming back to the present scene essentially we have duck we have dakni dying and urdu getting formalized or standardized and taking over in general due to the political uh, situation as well and because of the nizams coming in from north india and taking over so how did dakni end up as a language that still is spoken especially across the entire deccan because i mean one would expect urdu to be the primarily the prime spoken language though since that was the official language right so the thing is uh, with the diglossic situation and in general with the minority language situation i mean if you look at other communities around india and around the world for that matter many communities have uh, in, in fact traditionally the the norm has been that the official language or the 
you know, um, the literary language is something very different. It's not necessarily what you speak, right? Like, uh, you know, back in the day, it was Persian. No one spoke Persian, like, natively in India. But so uh, one thing we have to keep in mind is that um, minority languages and diglossic situations have both existed and do exist across the world, across India, many centuries. Also, historically speaking, you know, the, the official language or the elite language of a kingdom um, has often been completely different from what people speak, right? Like, um, uh, even in the Mughal Empire, like, um, Persian was the official language and no one spoke Persian natively, apart from maybe some locals, whatever, but it was still the official language and, like, um, I mean, obviously it had influence on local languages, but it did not replace how people spoke and this has been the norm, right? Like, um, an official language does not uh, it generally does not replace a language, and that's only happened in modern times, right? The sort of replacement. Uh, it's happened in Europe, for example, but even that uh, relatively um, recently. There have been situations where governments have tried to like exterminate languages, like Irish, which was like attacked by the British, you know, state for like centuries. But that's that, again, that's a very different situation in uh, the Deccan itself. So. At this stage, we just have a diglossic situation where, um, you know, speakers perceive their language as having two varieties of spoken and uh, like formal variant. But um, historically, as in before this modern period, uh, they would have just spoken whatever and that wouldn't have been affected by what the elites spoke, right? And uh, in modern times, however, like I said, this has changed in Europe in many places where minority languages have died out, like in France, like in, um, uh, you know, Spain and whatnot. So there have been instances in the modern period where this has happened, and this could happen even, um, you know, it, it like, realistically could happen to Dakhni, but there has been a certain resilience where people have identified with how they speak. And, I mean, also you have to keep in account that Urdu standardization uh, in the modern Deccan is not, uh, it does not have government Sponsorship because Urdu is not an official language, except in Telangana. Right. So Urdu is not an official language in the Deccan today, except in Telangana, and like even then, it's only spoken by a you know Muslim minority, and uh, it has its own people. Yeah, yeah, and it has its own challenges because of you know like it's being, uh, um, I guess, villainized. You could say by you know, um, by, by certain political forces. But um, the point I'm making is. Um, and also, you know, like India's um, in in general has been slow to catch up when it comes to like literacy and like these other um, indicators. So basically, my hypothesis—I I mean, I'm just going to say hypothesis because it's what I feel—but um, the fact is, in modern times, um, this um, language shift from Dakni to Urdu has not happened primarily because of uh, uh, because of a like the lack of state will. You know, the state itself has not been proactive in enforcing this. And B, because the community itself is uh, economically, like for the for the most part, economically marginalized, right? Uh, or not as economically forward, let's say. Yeah, I mean, like people have other priorities, basically. All right. All right. But uh, that being said, communities who are socially, sorry, economically, Dakni speaking communities that are economic, economically better off have been you know i would say like um, and i'm sure like you have seen this in your experience as well since uh you are a Dutch speaker um, you know by um, 
by upbringing, but like um, people in more like um, prominent positions will have a greater affinity towards Urdu. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, of course, that makes sense. So, no, because see, for example, we have someone like say Danish Seth, who makes a lot of these videos on Instagram, which go viral, and which he is basically speaking in Dakhni. Yes, absolutely. To a certain extent. And that's like proper Dakhni. It's not even yeah. like it's a small thing or here and there. It's yeah, like yeah. A huge chunk of the videos is yeah, are in them, Dakhni. Yeah, some of them entirely in Dakhni. And in fact, this is the same sort of Dakhni that you will hear if you go to Bangalore Cantonment, which is like um, the British, right. uh, formerly British food part of the city. So places like right. FG Road and like, you know, Shivaji Nagar. Right. You know, this is what you will hear. Like. So, yeah, I mean, so because as far as I know, I think uh, for in Hyderabad, we don't, for most parts, use words like "ako," "khako," "jako," but a certain section of people here do speak in that. As I mean, do use those words. But I've seen only people in Karnataka usually use those words, and people in Hyderabad they 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 refuse to accept the fact that it is the same language but with a small variation. So I've seen that as well. That's why I was asking. But yeah, but this this helps. Yeah, this this makes a lot of sense about the kind of variation that there is. But anyway, yeah. So. I think I have most of what I want. So, th- in case if I, if you have something else to add, otherwise we, uh, you know, thanks a ton for thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you for having me, Yunus. It's been a it's been a pleasure. If you ha- if you have anything else, please feel free to add. But otherwise, I think I have most of right. my doubts. No, I I feel there is a resurgence again. Like I am, I am an uh, an observer and like um, you know. Yeah, so I'm only speaking from that perspective. But since I do have like an academic interest in this, I see that there's a resurgence in um, in in Dakni and like people are now identifying with it, and you know they they are like being more assertive about it. Some of them are now openly calling it. For example, you and uh, you've been very vocal about this as well. Many are now openly calling it Dakni, and you know they're openly saying what we speak is Dakni and it's different. And there uh, many are like. Uh, keen on asserting for their own reasons, but seeing it, like, you know that same sentiment seems to be there. And like uh, I think at the uh, you know uh, as of today, like Dakni's role in media is really uh, is is or rather presence in the media is limited to um, comedy because it's, you know it's uh, things sound funny and whatever. But um, like you know with with the attitudes of speakers changing that could also change and you know like Dakni could start being uh, for like more serious purposes but this would need to come from the community itself and um, uh, you know this needs to come from Dakni speakers and there needs to be a change in uh, not that I'm prescribing these things but I'm just saying like if uh, it, it's possible you know if, if Dakni speakers do give what they speak more social value more social prestige they were to see it in a different light, then it would cease to be solely the object of a joke and it would start taking on a more respectable place in society. And people would start, um, you know, it would start uh, taking mm-hmm. on a different fair role point. and people would start using it for more serious. Right. Yeah, that's fair, fair, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that, that, that of course makes more sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, yeah. Thanks so much, Karthik. Uh, yeah, so I hope all of you uh, enjoy listening to what Karthik uh, has explained to us so graciously. 
uh you can also catch karthik on instagram who runs by the nick my handle is k r m a l l i which my okay yeah okay so this surname yeah k karma l k r m a l l i would be instagram and uh, you can also find him on twitter if you want to learn more about uh, his work and his research on language as well what is the twitter handle again karthik it is sandalburn s a n d a l b u r n right okay so you can catch him there and uh, yeah thank you all thank you so much for tuning in thanks karthik So in the next episode we will talk in Dakhni with Professor Zabiullah Fuza who is an Urdu professor from Bangalore University so make sure you listen to that so that you can actually listen to some interesting prose in Dakhni itself uh, I'm sure you all will like it especially people from Bangalore and Karnataka and Maharashtra of course people from Hyderabad as well Thank you all for listening to another episode of Beyond Charminar. You can also listen to all the episodes on our website sunoindia.in or on any other podcast app of your choice. Suno so India's shows are all available also on Spotify for example. Uh, as independent producers we rely on you our listeners to support us. So please visit the contribute page also on our website and help in any way that you can.